come on down. If you don't have a Bible, these guys have one for you. We're going through the, the, the book of Ephesians, and so you're going to need it. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I said Ephesians chapter 3, but I want to begin with a very important verse. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Now let's go over to chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He'll explain that mystery momentarily. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, here's, here's the mystery, Here it is. Here's the mystery revealed. Ready? Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's amazing he considers that a privilege. He's in prison because of that as he's writing this letter. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart over the tribulations. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. Isn't that a great prayer Paul prayed for the church? Wouldn't that be neat if we all prayed that for the church? That's a great blessing. Let's, let's, let's pray right now and ask him to minister to us through this word. Lord, so much in chapter 3, and we'll probably have to revisit it, but today, God, as you've placed this message upon my heart, I pray, I know it'll minister to at least one person. No, Lord, I know it'll minister to at least two people, and maybe the message is just for two people, but Lord, maybe it's for the whole room. Either way, God, your word doesn't return void. And so I ask that you would minister deeply to all who are present, especially this day, Communion Sunday, where we will all be ministered to. 
as we remember so great a sacrifice that set us free. So Lord, bless now, we pray. Lead us into all truth, Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I read out of Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Redeeming means to purchase back the time. Oftentimes I find myself where I waste time because I'm afraid of, I'm procrastinating having to do the hard thing. I don't want to do it. And I can find a million other things to waste my time instead of redeeming the time and doing the thing that I've been called to do. It's hard, it's difficult, it's complicated. I don't want to do it, so I gravitate towards the easy. That's what sin is. It it doesn't take any effort to sin, right? It comes natural to us. But to redeem the time and to do those things that are hard and to go to work every morning and and to establish your home and to discipline your children and to to spend time in conversations and to listen and to build relationships, that that takes time. And it's redeeming time. When you're at, at odds with somebody, to go and reconcile with them, that takes time, that takes effort. It takes dying to yourself. When you want to build something, when you want to invest in something, when you want to see something grow, it takes time. And it takes diligence and discipline. And so the, 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 the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church, and he says, the days are evil. And, and I was considering that, and this isn't, a, this isn't a doom and gloom message by any stretch of the imagination, but I will begin by saying this, that when we look out at the world scene, regardless of where you stand religiously or politically or economically, let's just say this, we can see... Uh, a, deist, a, a, a destruction and, and a dismantling of the world. I mean, it, things are breaking down. You know, we're watching, what, 25% unemployment in Spain. They, they can't continue to operate in this capacity. They're going to be bankrupt. We're going to watch as the, the International Monetary Fund and, and the World Bank and, and the EU and all these things, the, the whole house of cards is going to come down. We can't keep borrowing. We're at $15 trillion of debt. We can't keep doing that. We, half of more people are out of work or, and, and on welfare than ever before in the last, gosh, countless years. And we're looking at this and we're thinking, when's it going to stop and what are we going to do? We're watching prices increase. We're watching <clears throat> wages drop. We're trying to keep up with it by printing money and, and you know, monetary easing or whatever they call it. it it's, it's, a, it's a Ponzi scheme. And we're watching the dismantling of this before our very eyes. And then in addition, we're watching a concerted effort where there's an attack on anything Christian. I, I'm, I'm always, I always marvel at that. Christians are easy targets. You know, you pick on us. And, and in this case where you, you pick on a Christian, I, I, always, I always find it interesting that they would, they would pick on a Christian. I was watching this one person speak at a conference for... Um, aspiring journalists that, that came to this conference from high school, aspiring journalists that came to this conference from high school, and he was speaking on the topic of bullying. And he was a gay activist, and he was speaking on the topic of bullying, and he gets up into the bully pulpit, and he begins to talk about <clears throat> how the Bible is, uh, you know, myths, and that it, it's anti-gay, and, it, and just on and on and on, and he's attacking Christians. And the Christians by this time, and now he's saying it's, it's a fable of man, and he's just going after it. Christians quietly in the room, because there's a number of Christian schools there, there are some folks who have been invited, they just get up and they start to walk out. <clears throat> he, begins, he begins to mock them and call them names. And this is a bullying conference. <laughs> 
And, and as you're watching this, uh, this, is, this is interesting to me. You always pick on the guy who's not going to fight back. Because it makes you look good. I'd like to see that guy go to Islam and pull that stunt. <laughs> Serious. I'd like to see him stand up and pull that stunt. Never happened. I'll preach it. You hang in there. <laughs> but but that's, that's, it'll never happen. Todd's absolutely right. It will never happen. You pick on the guy who's not going to fight back. And certainly you don't pick on the guy who's bigger than you. Some of you have. I've done that once. I just found myself unconscious in the principal's office. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And we're watching the dismantling and the unraveling. And what's happening is it's, it's really the word of God. When we had Engel versus Vital and, the, and prayer was removed from the public schools and the, the scriptures were removed from the schools, it's shocking to me. And, and this is something that Tyler had shared when we were praying upstairs. I was blown away by it. It is. It's shocking. It's easy to get a Bible in prison. You can get as many Bibles in prison as you want, but you can't get a Bible in a school. I mean, we... We certainly don't want the Bible in the schools. God forbid. A Bible in a public school? Our entire generation has been inculcated, educated, you know, anesthetized. We, what? A Bible in the schools? You would teach it? It, it somehow it's like poisonous. It, you guys buy it. And if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, do you think that the Bible could ever get back in the public schools? I mean, come on, truthfully. It takes two-thirds of vote of the Senate, two-thirds of vote of the House. You think that's ever going to happen? Yeah, it's possible. Pray. I'll see you tonight. Listen, I've been, I've been preaching on prayer for how long? Yeah, and how many times have I been inviting and we were excited we have 70 people. Christians know about the power of prayer. We just don't do it. We love to hear great sermons on prayer. We just don't do it. We do it individually. We don't do it necessarily corporately. I mean, I think about our prayer life, especially as a pastor. That is the one area that I struggle with, prayer. That's why I'm trying to, everything I'm trying to do, I'm trying to incorporate it. I need it just as much as you do. I need it more. I need more of a challenge in that regard. But we come to this place where we say, well, what, is, what is the efficacy of prayer? What is the power of prayer? I mean, we watch Paul's prayer and he says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I pray. This entire family is named after Jesus Christ. It's the Christian church. The ecclesia, the gathering of those who love Jesus. And then he says that we would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask for or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory. Well, here's the problem. We want the glory. The church has been waylaid. We've been sidetracked. We've been marketed. We've been professionalized, but we haven't been on our knees. 
There's not a dependence upon Jesus Christ. We, 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 he is not everything to us. We take communion, we go through the motions. We, we, if I don't feel good, it's the worship leader's fault. If I, it has nothing to do with the reality that we are wholly dependent upon Him, rooted and grounded in Him, and understanding and comprehending the love of Christ. That it's manifested in the church, that that power resides, that it's exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask. And when I'm saying two-thirds of house, two-thirds of Senate, I'm looking at that going, are you kidding me? We can't even get a bill passed. First of all, we're in a republic, not even a democracy. Even if it's the will of the people, more than 70% of Americans want under God. And yet one judge removes it. One nation under God, remove it. More than 70% 70 of the Americans, we lose it. It's not even a republic at this point. We have, we have judges that legislate from the bench. It's, it's judicial fiat. They just make it up. They don't interpret the law. They make the law. And we look at it and we say, what can man do? How will we ever get the foundations restored? The word of God. It's living. It's breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How will we get this to our children? Well, why would we want to get it to our children when we ourselves don't even care about it? How many Bibles do we have in our house? We're passing them out. We go through Bibles all the time. If, if, if all the Bibles, it's the number one selling book in the world. And it, what amazes me is my, my daughter, we, went to, we were up in uh, Nevada County, and we were going through some antique stores, and she says, oh, Daddy, look, an old Bible. Let's buy it. I go, don't buy it. But, Daddy, look how old it is. I said, you know why it's old? And you know why it's in this bookstore? Does it look like anybody's read it? It belonged to somebody who got it at a church and never opened it other than the first time that the pastor said, turn to Ephesians 3. They brought it home, went on their bookshelf and gathered dust. And then they died. And we don't know where they are. And now somebody brings it in and the, the, the mess of things and they say, well, I can't throw it away. It's a Bible. Well, open it. Why do you think it's so serious, so intense, so powerful that you don't want to throw it away? If it, if it's, if it, if it's that powerful, read it. Obey it. And my daughter bought it. I was irritated with it. She got ripped off too. The thing wasn't worth what she paid. I, I can get you a thousand of those, kid. I see it all the time. I've told you the story. Ulysses Grant, his Bible's over in the museum, the largest Lincoln Memorial west of the Mississippi. His, his field Bible's in there. It's preserved beautifully. He never opened it. You look for, you know... Stonewall Jackson's, it's all dog-eared and, you know, falling apart. That thing was red. Grant, he was busy drinking. I was a history major. I know what I talked about. We're at a place where the foundations are unraveling. I mean, these are precarious times. The days are evil. We've lost the foundations. And we look at it and we're, we're almost paralyzed because it's so intense we don't know what to do. The enemy's overwhelming. And as we go through this passage in, in chapter 3 and we see Paul's prayer and what he's declaring, and he says the mystery is this. The mystery is access, access to God, salvation for, for the Gentile. Here's the mystery, and this is what bothered people. Here's the mystery. Salvation for the Gentile, meaning non-Jewish person, 
Salvation for the Gentile is exactly the same as salvation for the Jew. Jews are like, no, it must come a different way. And the Gentiles are going, we want another way. This is, I don't want to be like them. And he says, salvation, the mystery, revealed that I've called to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He was God. He was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He was without sin. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And He was the sinless Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world and His blood was shed for the remission of your sin. For blood must be shed for the remission of sin. His blood was shed for you to pay the penalty of you and me missing the mark, which is what sin is, falling short of perfection. And and there's all kinds of sins. We can add them up. And he came to cover the sins in his blood and to pay that penalty. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of your sins. And so the salvation comes for the Jew the same way it does for the Gentile. The Jews are saying, but we had sacrifices and we had Moses and we had Abraham. He says, yes, but all the sacrifices. You see that cross? I was a history major. You see that cross behind me? That is the center theme of all of history. That's right in the middle of all of history. Boom. And everyone prior to that cross being planted on Golgotha, on Calvary, everyone before that cross was established and Jesus was crucified, everyone before that point in history looked forward to that sacrifice in faith, waiting for it to occur. And then after Jesus was crucified, you know what blows my mind is the thief on the cross? He was the first one who didn't have to go down to Abraham's bosom. He went straight to heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Not Abraham's bosom, which means it was like a holding tank, a blessing place for saints who had died prior to the crucifixion, waiting for that time to be established. But that thief on the cross, Jesus died before he did. He's like, boom, right to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That thief was, that was rocking. No baptism, no first communion, no discipleship program, no church membership, straight to heaven. How? Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. We, today, as in history, we look back to that point in time. But we're all saved by the same Savior, Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile alike, He has to be our Savior. And there's no other Savior coming, and you're drowning. And the world's unraveling. And I I don't know what you're banking on, but good luck with that. Thousands of years, it has absolutely transformed human history, the, the teaching of the gospel. It's established communities. We remove the word of God. We remove Christ from the equation. We watch it all unravel. And there's an unraveling. And why is it that the world hates the Lord? You don't see them stubbing their toe and going, Oh, Buddha! Oh, Muhammad! No, they go, Oh, Jesus Christ! Why is his name a cuss word? Why is it that you can say at the Grammys or anything that I want to thank God, but the minute you say Jesus Christ, it's like, oh. Why is that name so divisive? Why? Because it's powerful. You turn a light on in a barn in the early morning when the sun hasn't risen, and the rats will scurry and the birds will sing. It divides the barn. When the light goes on, the darkness flees. 
And when the word of God is established, it exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. We've abandoned the word and we've embraced sin. And now we look out at a culture that's been absolutely mauled by sin. And God says, I want you to change the culture. Two-thirds of the house, two-thirds of the Senate. You ready to go? Oh, I, I don't know about that, Pastor. That's a lot to do. I, there's a worldwide rebellion against God and, and His Word and, and His standard. I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going I'm to be, I'm gonna be a minority here. <laughs> Twelve men turned the world right side up. No seminaries, no Christian radio stations, no bookstores, no churches, no nothing. And everybody on the face of the earth hated him, wanted him dead. Where'd they get the fearlessness? They prayed. They prayed. You look at the book of Acts. The prayer those guys prayed, that their faith would be strengthened. The Apostle Paul, as he is declaring to the church at Ephesus, this is the, this is the ticket, folks, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, you can do this. Redeem the time. As I was moved by this mystery being revealed of the intensity of spreading the gospel that fell upon the apostle Paul and the other apostles... And here he is in Ephesus, a city that is just a mess. And he's telling these folks, you can change it. It'll happen. And this is the mystery. But this is the God that does it. When he said to to Peter, and I shared this yesterday at the men's conference. When he said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You know, when you sift wheat, you have to roll it and get it out of the husk and then it breaks and then the the chaff is here and you throw it up in the air and the wheat comes down. That's the part that that is nourishing and can feed people, but the chaff is worthless and the wind blows it away. And, And Satan is basically saying to God, I want Peter, you can have the chaff, I'll take the wheat. Anything that's going to be nourishing to other people, I want to destroy that. I don't want him to be other centered. I don't want him to make a difference in the world. I want him. I have, I have asked to sift him like wheat. I want to destroy him. There's something in this guy, even though he's, he's kind of, you know, dumb. I, 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 I'm kind of nervous about, I want him dead. And I, I want to sift him like wheat. And the Lord said, this, or excuse me, Satan said the same thing about Job. Even God said, have you considered my servant Job? Have you, have you tried to examine in, in his life if there's any weaknesses that you can exploit in his perimeter? And Satan said, no, he's got he- hedges everywhere. You remove those hedges, I'll annihilate him. And the Lord said, you can take away his family, you can take away his possessions, you can take away his health, but just don't kill him. Satan said, when I do that, he'll curse you to your face. Job didn't. And I'm thinking, when Satan asked to sift Peter like wheat, and then the Lord asked for Job's hedges to be removed, the reality is Satan can't do anything without first asking the Lord. Any trial you're going through is first has to pass through the sovereign hand of God. And that's one of those things that kind of blows my mind. God, 
Why would you do that to me? Have you ever felt like you've been sifted? Rolled, crunched, thrown up in the air. Parts of you flying away. Rolled more. Why? Because when I'm finished with you, you can feed others. You're fruitful. It was Peter immediately after that when, Satan, when, when Jesus said, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. When you've been strengthened, go and strengthen the brethren. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And I love this word, but. But I've prayed for you. But. But I've prayed for you. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. The world is unraveling. Kids aren't praying. I'm not praying. The world's falling apart. We've done, we don't embrace the word of God. We're all in trouble. But, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. What is Jesus doing right now? The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you. You know what he's praying? Probably exactly what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. And we're going through the trials. And that word but to me is kind of cool. I always listen for it in a counseling session. The person or the couple is talking, the first, and they're laying out their case. And this, and this, and this, and this, and they're laying it out, and, and this occurred, and this is what they said, and these are the people that can confer with that. And, it's, and I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, and then all of a sudden they go, but, I go, boom, ding. But is a disassociative conjunctive. It means you're just erasing everything you just said. And now you're saying, but this is what I really want you to know. All the rest was just kind of a buildup so I could have your attention. This is what I want you to hear. I don't really believe any of this. This is what I believe. It is my favorite. Oh, I believe in the power of prayer, but no, you don't. I believe the word of God is powerful and living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword, pastor, but no, you don't. Use that word, but you don't. You acknowledge that somebody said it. You hold it maybe to be true, but you don't know it. You never lived it. You wouldn't use the word, but. And so when Jesus says, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but that's a good place to put a but. Because at that point, he annihilates the enemy. I've prayed for you. Not that you wouldn't fail, but that your faith wouldn't fail. You're going to get weak. You're going to get tired. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to be broken. And then you're going to realize you've always had me. And you'll realize the depth and the height and the width and the mighty power of God. You're going to understand what it is I want to do in and through you. You know why Paul's in prison in Ephesians 3? Because he's preaching the gospel. If he just dialed it down a little bit and relaxed, he could be sitting in a cushy office instead of being kicked through the streets and left in prisons to rot. What's happening? He's being rolled and thrown in the air and sifted. What happened to Peter? I mean, right after Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. You know what Peter said? Lord, I would go to prison for you. I'd even die for you. 
These other knuckleheads, they're not cut from the same cloth as me. You're talking about your crucifixion and your resurrection. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm your wingman. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to have denied me three times. You know, I can't use you right now because you're so full of yourself. You know what's so exciting about times like this? Nobody's going to be able to fix this problem but God. The sooner we get to the place where we realize that, the better off we're going to be. I want to close with one last picture. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Please. By the way, at the writing of this, Joshua is no spring chicken. Some people think he's young Joshua, he's strong. Mm -mm. He's he's over the hill, and he's gaining speed. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, listen, here's the command. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses." From the wilderness of the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. In verse 5, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe and do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you may go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's an exciting time to be alive. 1857, that was an exciting time to be alive for some. Certainly not for a black man or woman or black child. America had 33 million people in it. It was a young nation still, less than 100 years old. They'd had some financial crises. The nation was in a little bit of a turmoil. They were on the brink of massive division. Economic, social, it was awful. The nation was pitted and divided in ways it had never seen in its history other than the Revolutionary War. 
Battle lines were being drawn. Nobody could see a, a way out of this. You know what? The issue was slavery. People said it was states' rights. It had nothing to do with states' rights. As a matter of fact, even every seceding document of the southern Confederate states all declared that the reason that they were seceding was for slavery. So if you want to do revisionist history, just read that. As a nation is in this turmoil in 1857, financial turmoil, just awful, moral turmoil. The churches are declining. Nobody's attending church. The city, the nation is in a moral bankruptcy. Moral bankruptcy. Awful. Word of God had been abandoned. Churches were closing. One man looked out at New York City and just saw the cesspool of humanity. He'd been hired to do evangelism. He tried with all of his heart to do evangelism, and it wasn't working. He'd go through the streets and pass out flyers, but nobody came to church. I just went to a men's conference up in Solvang, and they sent brochures, and they were expecting 600 guys or maybe 100. They tried to do everything they could. People just weren't receptive to the gospel. What do we do? Nobody wants it. This guy, his name was Jeremiah Lamphere. He goes up to the second floor of the Dutch Reformed Church and he just figures, you know what? Paul said to pray and the Lord says to pray and I need to be courageous and this is his work and I'm going to ask him. And so he invites people to come pray with him. Begins at noon, goes to one o'clock and it's a businessman's prayer meeting. He's 15 minutes into it all by himself until he hears one man come up the stairs. And by the end of the meeting, there were seven, eight people there. And they continued with small numbers, trying to get it going. People weren't desperate enough, so they weren't going to pray. Uh, you know what? I know all of you will be at the prayer meeting. It's just going to take time, and we're going to have to have some more desperation. I know you will. It's when we're desperate that we cry out to God. I, just, I know it'll happen. I'm not, it's just a matter of timing. And we're just a little bit ahead of you asking God to provide for you what what the church needs. You know what happened with that guy, Jeremiah Lanfear? God used that one man on his knees to create the third great awakening in America. A million converts in less than a year in a nation of 33 million people. That's an enormous amount of new believers. And you know why? Because God had plans. He knew that the nation was bankrupt and that tough choices had to be made and some people needed to be rolled and sifted. And failures had to be corrected. Captives had to be set free. How are you going to shut down an industry in the San Fernando Valley that pumps out porn? It is the richest industry. You think Satan's going to roll over and give that to you? You think Satan's going to roll over and let all the slaves go that are being beaten? You, you just you pick, you pick the issue, and you pick the Goliath. You pick the Goliath, whether it's the San Fernando Valley or it's slavery or it's abortion, you pick it. And if God's going to use you, he's going to roll you and sift you and humble you and put you on your knees. And with those million new converts, the nation was ready. 
Ready for what? Ready to lose 650,000 men on the field of battle. Ready to watch every family affected in the south. Every family affected in the north. Everyone ripped apart and the warp and woof of this nation was devastated. And you want to know what happened? It required two-thirds of vote of the House and two-thirds of vote of the Senate to abandon slavery. It was the one time in the history of the House and the Senate that both chambers stood in standing ovation as it had been resolved. Nobody would have ever have expected that in 1857 but one man on his knees. I believe in the power of prayer, Pastor, but as we prepare for communion, I'd say this to you. I watched a movie that I enjoyed. It was called We Were Soldiers, and it's graphic, and I wouldn't recommend it. But it's a true story about Hal Moore, who was a colonel at the time. He he retired as lieutenant general. It was the very first combat between regular U.S. military soldiers and regular North Vietnamese army uh, soldiers. And they had had a position overrun, and so Colonel Moore was first time they had air, air cavalry. They'd never used helicopters before. He took a contingent of 400 soldiers into the, the valley, uh, Durang Valley. And they went to assess the situation. It was like they hit a hornet's nest. And out of the bunkers and out of the hills and out of all the caves came descending on their position over 4,000 regular North Vietnamese military. They surrounded their perimeter. They lost their landing zone, their LZ. They had been separated from the other squad. They were just being... Overrun. Chaos was everywhere. The book is kind of cool because it describes it in detail, but everything's being overrun. And what Colonel Moore would do is he kept pulling back and reassessing and pulling back and reassessing, moving to another location, reassessing. And I got to tell you, in combat, this is what happens. You get confused. Everything's falling apart. Where's Delta unit? It's, it's, oh, it's, we're, we're, we've lost contact with them. We're separated from them. Can we get anyone? No, we can't. Where's it? We're running out of supplies. The mortars are overheating. What do we do? And at the same time, the enemy's breaking through the perimeter. You've got somebody over here, and you've you got a man that, and another person's dead. And then people are breaking down and crying and whining, and the church itself is imploding. One man. Be strong and of great courage. Look, this war. It's a great time to be alive. You want to whine? You want to complain? You want to go back to the post? You want to make it about you? You want to take the sheet and instead of fill it out for what we love about our community or, or what we love about our church and what we, we want to be served? Let's ask the Lord. We've got all kinds of issues. Let's take it to the Lord. And in the midst of this, how more was able to protect his men? 1,800 Vietnamese died. He was able to get his men out safely. All the wounded were out. He was the last man back on the plane and back in. Took care of his men. Won the battle. Why? They had a good leader. And the Lord says, I'll be with you. And that's communion. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. We don't come up to take a cracker and a cup. We come up to remember he's with us. No weapon fashioned against us will stand. 
You ever doubt his presence? Get on your knees. Watch. You want to see the world change? The Lord says, you've been called. The land is to be conquered. He tells Joshua, he tells you and me. And then he ends with this. After he says, I'll be with you. Be strong and of great courage. Obey my commandments. You know what he says? Go do it. When I said the message was for two people, I know one in the room in addition to myself. Go do it. If God's called you, go do it. Don't wait for someone else to join you. Go do it. That's it. He's with you. Go do it. Redeem the time. Make your life count. Dream big. Pick a Goliath. Get on your knees and watch the world change. Go do it. Amen? And so when we take communion, He's with us. He'll go with us. He'll surround us. He'll protect us. He fights the battles for us. The Goliaths will fall. The land will be conquered. He is with us. Jesus said, Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord did. Psalm 23. I am with you. On the night that he was with his disciples, before he was to be betrayed, he had a meal with them. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm with you. I'm with you. The foundations may seem to be unraveling, but God isn't panicking. The cool thing about when times are desperate, the Bible says when sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And Jesus says, come. Come. I'm with you. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We'll take communion together. Let's go into